Hi everyone, it's Dr. Deanne Ross here. I'm the love theorist. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, this is another offering from my brand new book, Broken Heartedness Towards Love in Professional Practice, just published a little over a year ago. Oh gosh, a little over a month ago. <laughs> Let me get my bearings here. Um, and I'm really pleased to be offering chapter by chapter almost, some chapters are a bit longer, so taking more than one podcast uh, of the book to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Before I get started on sharing the chapter four, which is called Brokenheartedness, I'd like to acknowledge the Gubby Gubby Cabby Cabby people who are the traditional custodians of the land and waterways where I live and work on the Sunshine Coast. I'm really incredibly grateful and highly respectful of this community of First Nation people and all across Australia. So, just to give you a sense of where the book has come to this chapter four, come from to be at chapter four, in case you haven't heard the other podcasts um, of the book so far, is that this book is really ultimately um, identifying, developing a theory of love from my personal life experiences and my work life experiences as well as a socio-political analysis of society. Uh, you'll see that it's quite a broad-ranging book. Um, I've been around a while, so I've got quite a long life to draw stories from. And so it's quite a mix. Um, the chapters are very challenging initially I think I would say so the first chapter is on lovelessness uh, and is a profoundly um, profoundly challenging book I'd say uh, look at uh, what violence the, the, how lovelessness is caused by violence in this instance it's to do with my childhood where I was raised in a domestic violence situation. This is an example of how I work with concepts, um, even retrospectively, I guess, to talk about the issue of lovelessness, which is the root cause of brokenheartedness. And of course, lovelessness is caused by violence, injustice and unfairness of all kinds, not only to human beings, but to other animals and mother nature as well. Just giving you a bit of a hint of the breadth uh, and also the complexity of the theory of love I'm building out of the stories I share with you. So the first chapter on lovelessness can kind of set set a fairly intense tone for the book. Uh, the second chapter is on violence, which is the cause of lovelessness, and violence takes many forms. That chapter actually focuses on identifying what I call a dominance hierarchy in organisations, particularly human service organisations, and I make some parallels with my childhood family chicken pens and the hierarchy in chicken pens are all things and um, then some of my work experiences as a social worker particularly in the mental health services there's a section of that chapter on my experience of violence in universities where I've worked which because of the length of the chapter and perhaps that it's not as pertinent interesting to many listeners I haven't actually shared that part of that chapter so so 
second chapter is on violence. Uh, the third chapter is on eco-injustice. And when I'm using the word eco, I mean ecological, and it's a holistic understanding of injustice to speak to social injustice related to people, especially minority status people, injustice related to animals um, due to speciesism in the human human way of looking at the world and treating other animals and also prejudice and harm against nature due to the exploitative nature of capitalist systems of modes of production. Now all of that sounds fairly full on. I anchor it through my own personal experiences and as I say some of how I've connected with the the complex issues of our time. Uh, That chapter as an example focuses on uh, large-scale mining in Australia and one particular situation I was strongly involved in further to growing up um, in a mining town environment myself as a child. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to ponder <laughs> and by the time you get to chapter four, which is the chapter I'm sharing with you today, you'll have got a fairly big sense of how I came to think about what the issues are that cause brokenheartedness. And in this chapter, um, I try to distill that, locate it back in some contemporary ideas about brokenheartedness, especially medical ideas about it, um, and just see if, if that kind of as a concept uh, can help us understand why a theory of love is needed and how to start to think about the harm caused by the lack of love in the world. Okay, so I hope that that kind of overview helps a little if you haven't come to the book before and the readings from it. So coming to the chapter on brokenheartedness, it starts on page 119 of the book. Here we go. I want to understand what can be done to mend our own hearts and those of other broken-hearted people. What can be done in the face of injustice and violence done to us and others? What can we do for ourselves? How can we support someone who has a broken heart? And what of other animals' broken hearts or nature's broken-heartedness? I've come to understand the importance of brokenheartedness as a way to describe the impact of complex, interconnected experiences of violence. I want to create a theory of love, a theory that guides us in addressing lovelessness caused by violence and injustice. When I think about what living without love feels and looks like, it can take many forms and can involve big, devastating feelings. It can be exhausting, even life-threatening, to feel extreme feelings of lovelessness. Denial of such feelings can be a way of coping with how painful they can sometimes be. Living without love impacts our bodies, places and relationships with others. The problem is lovelessness. The result is brokenheartedness. The answer is love. And the rest of the book unpacks those claims and shows some ways forward to heal brokenheartedness of all kinds. Brokenheartedness refers to deep distress and stress caused by experience based on a lack of love. 
the lack of love due to violence and injustice is perhaps the deepest of all types of heart wounding. It is a moral distress at being treated unfairly and in harmful ways. It is the deep agony of not being treated as someone deserving of love. This moral distress is intricately expressed in adverse ways in a person's body, health, relationships, dreams and the ability to flourish in the world. A theory of love needs to be expansive to be inclusive of the diversity of broken-hearted experiences. It also needs to be focused enough to give us a sense of hope. Hope that there is something we can do to ease or address the pain and loss. As a child, I had an abiding experience of not having a voice, of not being seen and heard. When this invisibility was coupled with being misjudged, it had deep ramifications for me while I was growing up. I would now use the word broken-hearted as a more encompassing way of describing impact of a lack of voice has on a person and how this situation came to be in the first place. The silence that comes with not being seen, heard and validated is often part of the experience of being broken-hearted. In the silence, it becomes an experience with no name. It is not spoken, not acknowledged, and thereby not addressed. My personal experiences gained a political language when I read Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Freire argues that members of oppressed minority status groups are subject to a culture of silence about the injustices they are experiencing. The injustice is kept in place by dominant groups' vested interests in maintaining inequality. He developed an internationally recognised approach to education based on the partnership with poor and illiterate people in Brazil. Freire treated the people as acting knowing subjects, not empty vessels to be filled by information from experts. Together, Freire, the farmers and villagers built a shared language to understand their world. He worked with them to enable them to read and write. This helped to break the silence and name the unfair treatment they experienced from landowners. In this way, Freire's grassroots method of education gave people access to political rights and power. This is because the right to vote was linked to the ability to read and write. For part of my master's degree, I explored the relevance of Freire's idea of conscientisation. It approximately translates as critical consciousness linked with critical action to change the world. I looked at this in this context of social work practice. I facilitated some, social, some research using a group-based cooperative inquiry with women who felt disempowered. Their culture of silence existed by virtue of gender inequality. My own coming to voice as both a social worker and as a woman was also enabled by sharing and learning with the women in the space afforded by the research. It was this research that has inspired me ever since to form groups around shared concerns for both personal and group empowerment. Growing up in a big family had an unexpected gift of feeling at home in groups, 
especially groups of people grappling with tough times. Sometimes in my work, this toughness was about people's relationships with each other as family members or work teams. These are dynamics I'm quite familiar with. Some years later, I vividly recalled a moment when the idea of brokenheartedness took took on a special meaning for me in my professional life. A doctoral student, whom I shall call Sandra, embarked on her research while we were both colleagues in the public mental health service. She'd approached me for some early guidance on her research topic. In time, I became one of her research supervisors once we were both academics. Before Sandra started an academic career in nursing, she was a highly experienced mental health clinician. Part of her role was training mental health nurses in the technical and safety procedures for applying ECT, electroconvulsive treatment, to mental health patients. It was seen as best practice and the efficacy of the treatment was not substantially questioned. Fast forward to focus of Sandra's research on understanding how women come to make the decision to have ECT. This involved interviewing a number of women about their experiences. A pivotal moment for Sandra was her realisation that the memory loss related to the sense of identity and harm they were describing was irrefutable. As such, the research called into question Sandra's professional integrity in her previous role. Sandra came to the decision that she would never again promote ECT. Her research detailed issues arising from ECT for the women that had not been previously understood, including enduring memory and identity losses. When Sandra was trying to find a language to describe the women's experiences, she struggled to find a non-medical and non-deficit descriptor. After close readings of their stories, we came to the realisation that they were, in essence, broken-hearted. No one had previously asked them how they were faring after having ECT. When they were eventually asked, they each said they had felt silenced and invalidated. This was when a piece of the puzzle fell into place for me. Brokenheartedness seemed an excellent fit, even though it was not discussed in the research literature or directly by the research participants. As part of her doctoral candidature, Sandra presented her research findings to her peers at the university. A respected senior nurse academic in the audience responded by agreeing quickly when Sandra used the term brokenhearted. The academic explained that medical research showed that brokenheartedness had direct links to trauma experiences. That caused an aha moment for me. Of course, the women had been hurt in a number of ways. For example, when they were told by the treating team there was no other option for them or when they were told there are no side effects to ECT. They had sought help in states of desperation and had become worse off for so doing. The women were left to their own devices with no follow-up on discharge from hospital. There were side effects, including one of a harmful loss of memory related to their identities as women. Sandra heard them when no one else had. Brokenheartedness is a word that has been in my mind since that time, but not as foremost as it now is in this book.
I've come to use it as I'm trying to find a way of explaining why love really matters. Love matters in all places and relationships, but especially where violence and trauma have occurred. Upon reflection, during my childhood and my career as a social worker, it is a word that has so much meaning and captures my own and others' lived experiences. Only now, as I write, am I understanding how my childhood can be described as one of brokenheartedness. I also recognise the relevance of the concept for describing the experiences of so many of the people I engage with as a social worker. They would often, in fact, say they had a broken heart. It seemed to be a word that people identified with and felt able to use to tell their stories. Even so, I did not make the links across the stories I was hearing. As a result, I probably missed opportunities to understand the depth and embodied impact of trying to live with a broken heart. My understanding of brokenheartedness has some similarities to its popular usage. Dictionaries typically describe brokenheartedness as deep sorrowful feelings caused by loss of a loved one, usually by death, and includes symptoms such as heartache and grief. On social media, one of the most familiar emojis is the image of a stylized heart with a jagged break through its middle. I went in search of how the idea of brokenheartedness was depicted in popular books. It soon became evident that there is an enormous amount written about broken hearts. A number of websites promote a selection of books for getting over a broken heart. For example, Goodreads packages its broken hearts book list in themes such as love and those who can pierce the heart, broken hearts, healing from divorce and epic romances. Perhaps what was more surprising to me was that some print media sources also promote a range of books for the public. In 2022, the New York Times ran a headline stating, Books for broken hearts. Feeling like you've kissed too many frogs? Given up on love altogether? These books might might provide some escape this Valentine's Day. But then again, such promotions are not surprising, given the commercialisation of love in Western societies, especially romantic love. Many offerings were preoccupied with familial or intimate loss in interpersonal relationships. The focus is on how to mend your own broken heart with practical tips and guidelines to transform from breakdown to breakthrough. There is also sometimes the promise of how to find the perfect lover after heartbreak. The book reviews show how many people enjoy the read and how much they gain from these types of publications. Often referred to as pop psychology, it is perhaps too easy to critique this genre of writing for public consumption. Certainly there is a need for the reader to be discerning in deciding what to read. But I do think it is important that we seek to make complex experiences accessible to the public. When these offerings are located in accounts of lived experiences, they can become vital in enabling readers to see themselves in others and to find a sense of validation with their own experience. 
Nevertheless, in this book, I'm more interested in approaching the idea of brokenheartedness in less of a a psychology-only focused way and more of a sociological and ecological way. It is perhaps more accurate to say I aim to include the psychological and emotional dimensions of brokenheartedness through the lens of understanding the individual in society. C. Wright Mills argues that we need to cultivate a sociological imagination. He explains that it is not not enough to focus on the private troubles of an individual. Rather, we can understand their experience as a public issue and therefore about society. This is where persisting patterns of loss and harm are identified and need to be addressed. When hearts are broken because of a loved one's death, whether it be from an illness such as cancer or otherwise, it is a deeply personal experience. I have known this loss. When thousands of people die from cancer, it becomes a matter of public concern. There is a need to understand the causes of the different types of cancer and furthermore, to educate the public on how to avoid any risk factors. When the cancer is asbestos, caused by unsafe mining practices, it is a tragedy for the workers and their loved ones. It is also a concerning public issue that requires accountability and redress by industry and government. As Bernie Banton showed in relation to James Hardy's liability for asbestos-related deaths, too often it is the workers themselves who are left to seek justice. Please refer to the preceding chapter on eco-injustice for Bernie Banton's story. This is definitely a public issue and a matter of injustice. The concept of the ecological imagination extends on the sociological imagination. It weaves together matters relating to other animals and nature to enfold humans into the tapestry of life on the planet. Humans' well-being and very survival is interdependent with nature's well-being and survival. It might seem strange to think of nature as being broken-hearted, but a heavily polluted river due to toxic runoff from factories, mining and farm pesticides will struggle to survive. The water cannot be used by humans, the fish die, the old gum trees are threatened in their thousands. In one situation, a million native fish died due to a combination of over-extracting of water for irrigation and drought. In another, as I write, millions of fish are dying from unknown causes in the Mindaree River in New South Wales. In both devastating situations, the loss of life and vital ingredients for life provided by nature parallel human experiences of brokenheartedness. In these examples of asbestosis and polluted rivers, there is an injustice done, often despite the available research and knowledge. There is international research on the dangers of asbestos, the climate change research on environmental impacts, and and climate change research on environmental impacts of severe weather events. Caroline Noble explains that many disadvantaged groups are disproportionately harmed by capitalism and the related inequality that comes from economic activity. Everyone in nature is impacted, including humans and other animals. 
this intersection of factors due to human activity can cause brokenheartedness for the sentient beings and natural entities impacted and for people who witness and care about the harms caused. I like Dorothy Smith's approach to sociology, where she places people's stories and experiences at the centre of any exploration of society. Smith argues that we need to consider the material nature of reality, which includes the fact that we live in physical bodies that are located in time, place and history. I agree with Smith that there is one main task of standpoint sociological research and theorising in a patriarchal society. It is to stand my ground and avoid being subdued by the dominant discourses of ruling elites when theorising of people's lived experiences. I think the term brokenheartedness is useful because it brings the focus on onto how the harms and losses have created an impact on the diversity of people's lived experiences. What it means for each person cannot be known by others, but needs to be related by the person with the broken heart. Their story is theirs to tell and interpret. I personally do not take too well to others presuming to know me and what my experiences mean. It is why I like this idea of brokenheartedness, as it places our experiences in our bodies and our own meaning-making. Through telling our story, we might, if listened to with love and kindness, find ways to heal our own hearts. The word brokenheartedness invites an empathic response because everyone has had a broken heart and can thereby relate in some way to another's experience. Thus, I'm thinking about brokenheartedness, that it anchors experiences of loss and harm in our human bodies. It is also experienced in the bodies of animals as well as nature's bodies and entities. Embodiment or materiality and physicality is often referred to as the biological nature of sentient beings and other entities. Noble explains that our human bodies are co-constituted through interactions with a myriad of bodily natures, such as the water we drink, the food we eat, and the microorganisms we share. This is important in recognising humans are not the only beings with agency in creating the world. Humans are not alone in feeling brokenheartedness or showing signs of loss of vitality and bodily integrity when harmed. I live for much of my adult life without deeply understanding that nature has agency. Such was the limitation of being overly human-focused in my social work career. An intriguing example of the life force and similarity between humans and other sentient beings is provided by the work of forest ecologist Susan Simard. Her research shows that trees communicate with each other and do so in a way very similar to human brains. The trees communicate by using chemical signals similar to hum human neurotransmitters, which travel along fungal membranes. Simard's work shifted my view of plant-based life and made me confront my own ignorance about their agency, including the intelligence of, in this instance, trees. Brokenheartedness for humans can present as heart failures or what are typically called heart attacks. Chronic heart disease is among the highest causes of death in Australia and other Western countries. 
What's going on when people have heart attacks at the physical level is complex and not the same for everybody. Research shows that there is a direct link between trauma and severe physiological effects in the body, including the heart. In, the, in medical terms, it's referred to as TAPSUBO, stress-induced cardiomyopathy, otherwise known as broken-hearted syndrome, where a sudden shock weakens the heart muscle. Shine cites research which shows that it is mainly experienced between women by women between the ages of 58 and 75. However, there is a link between interpersonal violence against women and serious heart disease, which has only been exacerbated by the socioeconomic stresses of the COVID-19 pandemic. This would suggest a much broader demographic of people impacted by the broken-hearted syndrome not captured by medically focused research. Statistics on domestic violence are devastating, showing it to be a major health issue for women and girls internationally. More than 23% of women in Australia are subjected to what one writer has called domestic terrorism. Domestic violence can be experienced as broken-heartedness. Braden explains that the broken heart experience reflects the relationship between the brain and the body in what is termed heart-brain coherence. He writes that the electrical signals from the heart influence the brain's chemical responses throughout the body. Deep loss or threat to life can cause an increase in cortisol and adrenaline in the body, which triggers the survival fight or flight response. <coughs> Excuse me. If this is an ongoing situation of trauma, the impact on a person's body can be extreme and in itself life-threatening or at least increase the risk of health issues. Research has also established what many of us already know from our own experiences, namely that depression and other mental health challenges can impact the body and cause, cause, cause sorry, what is called comorbid conditions, for example, depression and coronary heart disease. In terms of heart health risks, factors, depression can have similar impacts on the heart as smoking, high cholesterol levels and high blood pressure. When someone says a person has died of a broken heart, I believe that's exactly what has happened. When the physical heart is broken, this often aligns with an emotionally broken heart. There are deep, sad, abiding feelings of distress, which I think can intensify experiences of harm for the person that are very hard to survive. Given that there is medical evidence of the link between physical harm to the heart and stressful life circumstances, it is important not to shy away from addressing the sources of harm and violence. In 2015, a Queensland farmer, George Bender, died by suicide after a long struggle to protect his farm in Chinchilla from a coal seam gas company. The company was poised to start building wells on his land against his wishes. His family told the media that he died of a broken heart. This is a situation where the extreme pressure placed on the farmer by the gas company was of an order that it was coercive and caused deep pain in the form of loss of hope and the will to live. 
a person's physical emotional heart is a sensitive barometer of their social circumstances. The circumstances need their own attention to address brokenheartedness. The meaning a person makes of their situation of being unfairly treated is experienced as emotions which become embedded in their bodies and influence how they respond. My treatise on the need for revolutionary love can be understood in part by considering how a lack of love can be heartbreaking. I have suggested this is especially so if that lack of love is related to an experience of injustice or trauma caused by someone hurting another. This is a specific way of thinking about brokenheartedness that can cause very deep wounds in our hearts and can impact our ability to survive and flourish in the world. This is because love cannot flourish in unsafe situations. Love is a necessary ingredient for life. It is part of the planetary life force. The hardest thing is to believe in love in its absence. The hardest of experiences is when there is injustice and violence done to people. Understanding why brokenheartedness occurs is the first step in discerning what is needed and who needs to act to address the harm and loss. Brokenheartedness has many facets to it. People can die of brokenheartedness, but also people can live for a very long time, or periods of time at least, with a broken heart. It may not even be recognised by others or be called that by the person. Yet it is incredible to me that people can live with a broken heart and can still be making an amazing contribution in the world. I will never forget reading the remarkable story of Isildine Abelage from Gaza. Isildine continued practising as a doctor, treating both Palestinians and Israelis after his home was bombed and his daughters and a relative were killed by the Israelis in 2009. His book I Shall Not Hate is a detailed account of his life and career and the heartbreak that he nursed as he worked for peace and understanding. And as, a, as an aside, uh, Isildine is still working for peace and understanding at this time when the war between Israel and Gaza is happening. The Palestinian people of Gaza is happening. In telling you some of my experiences with domestic violence as a child, I have demonstrated how lovelessness is caused by violence. Much of my professional story has involved working in mental health systems where violence occurred in the name of care. The most extreme form of organisational violence is expressed in seclusion and restraint of mental patients. There is a lack of love when systems of care condone restrictive practices which are known to add to patients' trauma. In turn, many mental health practitioners experience bullying and scapegoating in a system which is not organised to be trauma-informed and safe. The exploitation and mass-scale destruction of landscapes for mining for natural resources is an example of violence done to nature. Whole ecosystems collapse, whole species of animals and birds disappear, and contamination stains the landscapes when the mining companies leave. The lack of love for nature has produced many paths to global warming and all its related violences and unsustainability. Details of those points are around harm 
done to people in mental health systems, harm done to animals and nature are in the eco-injustice chapter. Humans' experience of eco-anxiety is related to nature's broken-heartedness. Adams explains that eco-anxiety is due to extreme worry about climate change and concern for what is happening to the planet. It is a reasonable response to such a cataclysmic situation. The farming industrial complex makes a profit from the killing of millions of farm animals a day across the planet. The scale is so vast as to be unfathomable. Human bias against some animals causes lovelessness, which enables violence against them to be committed without any guilt and little condemnation from society. The Troubling Gift of Brokenheartedness This is its last subsection of the chapter on brokenheartedness. Lovelessness is experienced as brokenheartedness. Violence causes brokenheartedness. Injustices of all kinds cause brokenheartedness. The gift of feeling brokenhearted is that something has really mattered. This is not an argument that brokenheartedness, therefore, is okay. Somehow that brokenheartedness is inevitable, that this is how life is. But it is quite the opposite. It is a troubling gift, a gift born of unwelcome pain, loss and trauma. Nevertheless, it is the case that when something really matters, there is hope in that. There is hope that someone will do something to make it better. Broken hearts can be mended. Broken hearts that are not mattering to anyone become more broken. Extreme acts of violence and injustice occur from lovelessness. People die or live half-lives due to lovelessness. Humans as a species are surely doomed when we do not care if someone is broken-hearted. Being willing to recognise broken-heartedness in others is the first step towards love and away from lovelessness. People can be broken-hearted witnessing others' heartache. If we are broken-hearted ourselves, the willingness to pivot on the pain, to act with love in the world, is truly revolutionary. The broken-hearted are the love revolutionaries on the planet at this time of reckoning. They know what matters because they have lost something really precious. Even so, it is a moral wrong to leave the burden of addressing lovelessness, lovelessness and violence on the people, other animals and nature who are also impacted by injustice, who are also broken-hearted. The love revolution cannot progress without the people, businesses and governments who cause harm, acquiescing acquiescing to non-violent appeals for justice and love. Everyone, to varying extents, are adversely affected, perhaps they are even feeling heartache, when others are in pain and being treated unfairly. These following three ideas, if cherished deeply, can be the ethics that comprise the moral code for peace on earth. Love, non-violence, eco-justice. With peace for all, there will be no broken-heartedness. That brings to a close the chapter on broken-heartedness from the book of the same name. And I thank you for listening and hope that you're gaining something from joining me in sharing the chapters from my book. Thanks kindly and all the best.